this is CarCast, where Scott drives in his car and talks to himself. Hello, hello, this is Scott. I'm driving in my car on my way home from work, and I haven't posted in a while. I haven't said anything in a while. Um, last big thing was uh, about that wrestling program, the ideas um, that that might actually be able to happen, and I'm very excited about that still, but I haven't done a lot of, uh, made a lot of progress on it, because um, obviously that college is still in their wrestling season, so um, I'll let that finish up. I might work on some personal ideas, um, think through some some stuff on, on my end, and then probably get in touch with them uh, in March and, and uh, talk about what the future might look like, um, but since then I haven't uh, haven't made up a single post episode. Um, but I've been thinking um, a couple of things just off the top of my head, little comments on some stuff. So um, I think. My kids, I just found out today that my kids' school is closed for the next three days. Uh, apparently, too many kids are sick. Uh, I've seen some people with the flu and stuff on Facebook, so apparently there's too much illness. So, um, superintendent just closed the school for the next three days. And then Monday is President's Day, so uh, they went to school today, but they just found out that they're not going to be going to school until next Tuesday. That's one one week from today. So, um, I guess they're excited about that. That's uh, out of nowhere. So, that's interesting. I guess it happens a lot this time of year with people getting sick, and I've seen some other schools closing for uh, illness, so they're probably not very rare, unique, but I just thought it was interesting that they don't close for a day, they don't close for a couple, they close for three days, and they get President's Day uh, next week, so, anyway, I thought that was interesting, um, I've been thinking a lot about, uh, what to make an episode about, the reason I haven't made an episode is because I don't know, I don't, I don't have anything pressing to get off my chest, um, and I'm really worried, not worried, I shouldn't say worried, I should say, um, I am skeptical that an episode that I would make randomly would be very interesting or, um, even listened to, uh, just cause it's not really something specific that, um, piques people's interest and, and I, I, I just don't want to make an episode that nobody cares to even listen to so I've been trying to think of something to talk about but been failing miserably at those thoughts so if you want to hear something if you want me to talk about something please let me know um, I have plenty of time I, I want to unpack stuff I want to dive into it I will talk 
as long as I possibly can on almost any topic. I just don't know what to talk about because I don't know what people care to hear. So, if you're listening to this and you know how to get a hold of me in any, any way, please let me know what you want me to talk about, if anything specific, because um, that really hinders my ability to, or my interest in making episodes, because I, I feel like they're probably not very interesting, um, if they're just random, but anyway, this one's kind of, kind of an, an interesting one, I hope, um, it comes out of kind of a combination of personal issues that a lot of people probably haven't had insight into, and, um, some military um, situations where I've had to deal with the military or the military has inflicted a situation upon me and I I want to unpack it because I think it's something that people don't experience very often they, they experience similar things in their own lives and their own ways but I don't think people talk about it unless there's specific people that, you know, post everything on Facebook, which I am definitely not. So I typically kind of dealt with this stuff myself, and I don't think that was a great idea. And I think that there are observable side effects of that decision lingering today in my personality and actions, so, yeah, I think I, it's, it's in the best interest of everyone to get heavy stuff off their chests, otherwise it'll crush you, so, metaphorically and emotionally, literally, um, so, This episode will be about. I, I was trying to think of like a like a catchy name or a catchphrase or a whatever, but I'm thinking like how deep can you bury stuff, or how much stuff can you fit into your whatever hole that you've dug in your heart, emotions, brain. I, I think the more you pile on, eventually it, it, the hole can't fit it anymore. You can't dig forever. You can't make a hole big enough to, to hold everything. And I think um, when you try to, you, you break yourself. So... I will um, explore some things that I think I've thrown into my hole that I've tried to ignore or just brush off or handle myself and, and act like it never even happened. And... I don't know if I'll get to the side effects of any of it or not, but we'll see what happens. So, 
the most impactful, I think, there's a, probably a one-year period of my life. Uh, now let's just say two years. Two years of my life have been the most influential on my emotions and um, temperament and the way that I handle things. So two years of my life have pretty much defined how I manage hard issues in my life. And that two-year period started when I was told I was going to Afghanistan. So being a young guy, newly married, just started a career, and being told, hey, we're, we're going to Afghanistan. We don't know exactly when, we don't know exactly where, but we know we're going. It's happening within the next year. That'll that'll hit you in the chest, right? That'll that'll feel like you just got drop kicked. And um, it's a lot. It's a lot to start thinking about. You got to um, get everything, every every account, um, every bill, every situation financial and kind of life structural situation ironed out you have to you have to wrap your head around all of it start packaging it up put little bows on it and and hand it over to somebody else who's going to be around back home while you are not um and that's a stressful thing to do. In that, uh, in, you know, in that first little bit, we're trying to talk about what this is going to look like, where we're going to live. She, my wife, was pregnant, um, or got pregnant right, right around the same time. We were trying to get pregnant. I don't know if she was pregnant when I found out or not, but it was very, very close. Um, but, you know, very shortly after she was pregnant, so we knew we were going to have a baby. We knew that it was going to be born right around the time that I was leaving and that she was going to have to take care of him by herself. And so you got to start thinking about, you know, where do we live? Why do we live there? Is it the best place to live? What does she need while I'm gone? I'm not going to be there to help her to go get stuff at night to um, support her when she's stressed and struggling she she needs all of those things and I'm not going to be there to do it so who is who's going to do those things and it can she get those things where she lives now you know is it um, would it be easier if she went somewhere else is do, do we have to live where we live now because of jobs or um, you know 
family or whatever else, or is it just a, a happenstance, a matter of convenience, and um, you know we're able to pick up and, and move somewhere else while I'm deployed. So after considering all those different things and weighing all of our options, we we decide to move uh, down to Kentucky where my wife was raised and where her family lived. And she moved in with her family, or we moved in with her family um, up until I got actually deployed. So that was, that was stressful. It was um, chaotic. And before doing that, while we were making those decisions and trying to figure that stuff out, we, I had to leave for um, four weeks of training. I had to go away to a, to a school for four weeks. And that four weeks started before Thanksgiving and ended the week of Christmas. So right off the bat, boom, you're married. First Thanksgiving together about to get deployed trying to figure out all these big things she's pregnant but I'm gonna be away for the army during Thanksgiving and she's got to buy Christmas presents for you know the fa- my family members her family members we've got to you know try to celebrate and prepare for Christmas and get a Christmas tree up and decorate and try to enjoy the Christmas season yeah, well, I'm not going to be around between Thanksgiving and Christmas, so do that on your own too. That's a lot. It's a that's that's not fun. Um, it's not fun for her. She did not like doing it, and I didn't like watching her through a computer screen doing it. But she did. She's awesome, and um, you know, you do what you got to do. So I kind of swallowed that just kept a strong face on and uh, just kept reassuring her that I know it sucks but it's all for the greater good we gotta do what we gotta do and um, we signed up for this and um, you know it's temporary so anyway that was the uh, Christmas holiday season of uh, 2011. Right when I get back around Christmas, we pack up our apartment and we um, head out to actually, it's actually interesting because before, before that, uh, a couple months before I had got even knew I was going to get to get deployed um the apartment that we lived in when we got married got robbed and we came home to the you know the front door being locked with the in from the inside um and there's something really primal about when you feel like you're House that you are responsible for maintaining and providing and protecting and securing gets violated and 
property that you worked hard for and you were proud of gets taken and you that's you that's your job as the husband and the man of the house is to provide those things and secure those things and protect those things and you just fail miserably when somebody can walk in and and take it so that feeling of um, failure disappointment inadequacy that that hit me hard when that happened Um, then mere months later I'm out of town for the army while my wife's trying to celebrate the holiday season by herself that was frustrating and once again you feel like you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing for your wife uh, or you know your unborn child you're not there supporting them and and um, you know providing what you're supposed to be providing inside your house so you just got to put on a face and keep keep on going um, so then I'm in and out of town between January 2012 and um, when we get deployed just two weeks here two weeks there but come May we get taken out to New Jersey for three weeks and I seriously I believe it was like the second day there second or third day that we were in Fort Dix, New Jersey. And we go to... So my wife's birthday was already going to be while we were there. I already knew that based on, you know, the time frame we were there. So I'd already had to swallow that fact and and just know that... Hey, sorry, honey, I'm not going to be there for your birthday. First, Your first birthday as a married couple... Sorry, not going to be there. But the day before her birthday, we're going to, um, we're doing combatives. uh, You know, learning how to do, you know, hand-to-hand combat. And all of a sudden, my first, or my platoon sergeant pulls me aside out out of the building and just says, Hey, um, you need to call your parents. And when you're told by your military leadership in the middle of training to pull your phone out and make a phone call home, there's probably something very wrong. And I didn't know what it was. And I asked him, like, why? What is going on? Why do I need to call them? What are you talking about? And all he said was... Do you have a grandpa that was sick and or you know or or dying? And I said no, no. One of my grandpas don't even talk to. I have no idea what shape he's in. But last time I knew he was all right. And if he died, I probably wouldn't be too upset anyway. But my other grandpa, that dude is perfectly fine. He's got diabetes, but that's it. Like he's 
He's great. He just hangs out. So I called my mom and dad, like, what is going on? Why, you know, to have something happen to grandpa? And my dad told me that his father had died. And this was, this was the one that was supposed to be in relatively great health and that I had actually known throughout my life pretty well. And that was just like, what are you talking about? How is that possible? Um, just uh, unexpected deaths are just that they're, 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 they're unexpected. They're out of nowhere. But it's not like it's an unexpected slap in the face or an unexpected whatever, thumbtack or, or Lego on the ground that you step on. Like, those things hurt. And they surprise you, and they hurt for a short time. But, you know, just pick the thing up or, or whatever. It's not. It's going to go away eventually. This doesn't. This doesn't do that. The feeling of finding out that somebody has unexpectedly passed away, that you really looked up to, wanted to make proud, kind of fell, followed the footsteps of, yeah, you know, he was in the military and I was away for the military when it happened, on my way to deploy, it's just, it's your, it's your grandpa, right, it's, it's the guy who taught your dad everything he knows and your dad taught you everything that he knows and you wanted your your kids to be able to know him and um, and learn everything that, that he taught everybody. And when you're told, hey, I know you're out of town. I don't know, you know, you haven't seen him in a while, but you're not going to see him ever again. That, that really sucked. Um, and I didn't know what to do. I cried for a little bit outside the building and, um, but I, I sniffed, wiped my eyes off. And I went back inside because I had to train. I had to learn how to survive in Afghanistan. I had to be there with my guys and help them train. If I wasn't out there training with somebody, then they didn't have somebody to train with. Uh, particularly in you know something like combatives, which is a one-on-one training. So I couldn't just sit out there all day. I couldn't take the day off for the sake of my own well-being and my battle buddy's well-being. So what was taking the day off going to help anyway? What am I going to do? Just sit and cry all day? Like, it's not going to help anybody. I, I couldn't do anything. So, I'm back to work. I put on a strong face. And I went back inside and I tried to tried to train people could see right through it they knew something was going on and they were asking me and I was generally answering them letting them know just found out my grandpa died um it sucks but let's train 
And that's all you can do in those situations when when you you can't fix it anyway. So you just keep on keeping on. But that night I made some phone calls out to family. A couple days later they had the funeral and they sent me a video of it. I wrote a a little couple paragraphs that my wife read at the at the funeral and they've sent me a video of it and I I bawled my eyes out like a little baby and if I thinking about it I almost am about to cry again but if I watch that video I will cry uh, you know just immediately um And what what hurt the worst was not the fact that he was gone. It really wasn't. It was the fact that every single person in my family, my brothers and sisters, my parents, my aunts and uncles, my cousins, my grandma, my extended, extended family, we're gathered together, supporting one another, and talking about him and and working through their grief and their pain together. And I couldn't be there to help. I couldn't give my dad a hug. I couldn't give my wife a hug. I couldn't do anything that I was supposed to be doing as a son and a husband and a family member in a hard time. I was not able to do it. And that ate me up. So then... I uh, moved on from May to June. In June, we go to Fort Bliss, Texas. My wife's nine months pregnant. We're in Texas for a couple months training before we actually head off to Afghanistan. And... um, while I'm there, I'm talking to my leadership and trying to understand, you know, what to expect to come when my baby is due. And at some point along the line, my commander, who also had a pregnant wife at home, we, I wasn't the only one. There were three or four, I think, uh, total. But he just told me, hey, you're not going home. I'm not going to go home when it's time for my son to be born and you're not going to go home when it's time for your son to be born we have a job to do we have to get ready to go to a combat zone and learn how to do the job necessary and 
we'll do everything we can to help you be a part of the birth and but that does not include going home for it and that was infuriating I was super angry that I was in the United States in Texas doing mundane training 99% of the time and I couldn't go home for 24 hours I couldn't go home even on my own dime I was not allowed to travel and see my own first child be born and I told my wife and it hurt and there was a lot of anger a lot of confusion and when it was time for the due date the birth I was excused from training that day I sat at the barracks all day long my wife went into the hospital got induced she didn't end up even going into labor she sat there all day long until about midnight um when they were like, okay, you're not going to have this baby. She didn't dilate. She didn't go have contractions or anything. So they just said, let's just have a C-section and get this over with. So they gave me a call. I was talking to them throughout the day, calls, Skypes. And eventually they were just like, all right, we're about to just do this. We're going to take this thing out. So my by that time, everybody in the barracks is asleep. I take my computer into the bathroom of a barracks and sit on the toilet with no shirt on and watch through Skype my first son be born. And it was awesome. It was awesome to see. It was awesome to be a part of. It was awesome to to experience in, in such a unique way. But I would have preferred to be there. And when my wife was, in, was recovering from a C-section and was in the hospital for days afterward and my son was in the hospital with her I just kept talking to her family my mom, her mom about what was going on because I didn't, I wasn't there it was my time to take care of my wife and my child and I couldn't do it And that sucked. But, once again, I put on a face and got back to work. Because there's a job to do. And the job is not going to go away just because I'm not happy. So, at that point, we get deployed. We're in Afghanistan. A lot of stuff happens. It's a long deployment. It's rough. The holidays were the worst. Nobody wanted to be there during the holiday season. Everybody wanted to be home with their families. It was cold and wet and miserable. And all you wanted to do was lay in bed or on the couch next to your wife and your kids and be home. And that sucked. But you couldn't do it so you get on Skype and you smile and you wave and you try to convince them that you're not sad that you're not 
miserable, that you're not struggling, that they shouldn't be feeling those same things. You try to convince them that it's all worth it. It's all temporary and you're going to come home safe as soon as possible. But it all sucks. It is miserable. And it hurts really bad. And then comes springtime. Sometime in March, I believe. We're on a mission. We're clearing IEDs or looking for IEDs on the side of the road. I'm in the second vehicle driving a Husky. It's a a one-man vehicle. You're stuck in there by yourself. No weapon on top. No way to shoot. You don't poke your head out or you get shot. You're sitting there by yourself. Your sole job, your sole responsibility is to drive that truck. It has sensors on it, like metal detectors and ground-penetrating radar. And your job is to drive that truck and try to find bombs in the ground so that your battle buddies driving in the trucks behind you don't hit them and and blow up. So we're sitting there on the side of the road driving. It's, as you can imagine, probably a stressful and exhausting job to do, but you got to do it. And out of nowhere, the truck in front of me gets blown to pieces. Um, you don't the the feeling of of being ten yards behind a truck when a bomb goes off underneath it, and pieces of that truck land on your truck, and you all you see is smoke and fire. It's it's not fun, and all you care about is the well-being of the guy inside there and is he okay is he gonna make it but all you can do is your job stay in your truck and look for IEDs so as you can imagine he's gotta get you know out of there he was fine he was on the radio uh, talking he said he was okay but he couldn't drive his truck so I had to clean you know clear the area around him make sure there was no more IEDs around his truck so that he could get out of it so that you know maintenance crew could come up and and recover his truck and tow it um and not being able to get out and take care of him or check on him was very frustrating but you focus on your job and you get your job done because that's what it's expected of you and that wasn't even the worst of that day probably four hours later six hours later we're driving down the main highway in Afghanistan cruising faster than we should have been anxious to get home we had already gotten blown up once it had been an exhausting long day of cleaning up that mess and everybody just wanted to go home so we're driving a little bit faster than we should have been I'm still the second truck 
the truck in front of me is a bigger truck full of guys um, and I'm 15 yards behind it and that truck gets blown up by the biggest bomb we had seen the entire deployment before I knew it it was it had disappeared I'm driving all of a sudden the loudest boom I've ever heard I slam on the brakes before I can stop I'm I'm inside the fireball I'm inside this the smoke ball um, I, I just sit there and wait for the smoke to clear and, and try to get my head on straight as to what just happened um, and as the smoke settles I'm looking forward at the road and there's no truck there the truck is gone and I'm like I know that was a big boom but there's no way that this truck just disintegrated so um, I start looking around all I see are pieces of the truck the back door of the truck the fire extinguisher from the truck the um, you know just bits and pieces of it metal everywhere um, and I'm on the radio trying to explain to everybody who's behind me who can't see the road in front of me. I'm trying to explain to them what I see. You know, I don't see a truck. I see bits and pieces everywhere. Um, this truck just got blown up and it's gone. Um, and I start looking around on the sides of the road trying to figure out where all these pieces are coming from or came from. And I see the, the truck over on the side of the road um, turned over on its side. It got blown up. It was probably 25 yards off the road. Um, down a little hill. The sides of the road are, are lower than the, um, the road itself. The road itself is, is a little bit raised off of, you know, on the ground. So this truck got blown up, pushed off the side of the road, 20 yards um, and, uh, flipped onto its side, the back door blown off. Um, it was a mangled mess and there were three guys inside there that I would have taken their place any day if I could have. And I thought they were probably dead and I had to do my job I had a I remember I had a mouthful of sunflower seeds and before I could talk on the radio or especially get you know into all this and explain this much on the radio I just spit them all out I didn't like I didn't have a bottle to spit them in or anything I literally just blew out all my air out of my mouth and sprayed these sunflower seeds all over the cab of that truck and I don't feel bad for it at all so Sorry, the next guy that had that truck, but um, I, I just get on the radio and I say, hey, this truck is down on the side of the road. It's on its side. The back door is off. We got to get down there and check on these guys. And I'm told 
that's, you know, go for it. You're drive slow, look for, you know, scan the whole time, looking for IEDs while you're on your way down there. But you know, see how close you can get, see if you can make contact, see if you can get, you know, visual confirmation, um, of their situation. So there I go. Put on a face, shut up. You're not crying. You're not reacting. You're doing a job. You go into this weird zone where no matter how bad it is, you just execute what you know how to do. And, uh, so I started driving, cruise down there, um, inching my way toward the truck, uh, making sure that I don't, you know, blow myself up and, and hurt them even worse. Um, I'm on the radio telling everybody what I'm seeing. Hey, there's smoke, there's fire. Uh, the bottom of the truck's on fire. Um, I don't see any movement yet. I don't, can't see any windows. Um, they had no comms, so you couldn't, there was no communication. I wanted to jump out of my truck and run over to that truck and look in a window or open a door or scream. And I, I couldn't do any of it. Um, and, uh, all of a sudden somebody comes on the radio from that truck, um, telling us that they're okay. And that's, you know, that's a humongous sigh of relief. Like, okay, I don't know how you guys aren't all dead, but that's, that's amazing. And it's awesome. And, and I'm glad that that's the case. And, um, so he just explains, Hey, we're pretty much okay. You know, nobody's dead. Um, nothing serious. Just, uh, you know, one of the guy's ankles is hurt. And this whole time that he's talking on the radio, trying to explain their situation, all you can hear in the background is this dude screaming bloody murder, um, in, in serious, serious pain. So he's on the radio. Yeah. How you, you know, I, we're all alive. We're good. Truck's disabled, obviously. And, and the whole time, all you hear in the background is, is a grown man wailing, um, in pain. And I knew it was a good thing that he was screaming, but it, it hurt me to know that he was in pain and I couldn't help him. So, um, eventually that they got the hatch open and they, they came out through the hatch and, um, they evacuated the guy with the hurt ankle, um, and they're checking him out making sure that it's just his ankle and surely they all have concussions and, you know, they're all, they're all injured, but, um, they're all okay. But the whole time, all I want to do is jump out to my truck and, and point my weapon somewhere, find the guy who did it, go run into the village. You know, it's a hundred meters off the road to the right and, and start kicking in doors. We, we got to figure this out. Well, how did this happen? And, what can we do about it and what do these guys need and and how can I help and my job is to sit there in this truck with no gun and not move at this point I've done the extent of my job for the entire mission I I could not provide any more aid at all while this guy is being recovered while they're calling in for a for a medical evacuation through a helicopter um, while they're 
you know, putting him on a litter and, and running him over to the helicopter and while they're picking up pieces of the truck and, and recovering it all, I'm just sitting in the, in my little box, smaller than a old time phone booth, just watching it all happen with no way of being helpful. And that sucked. But what do you do? All you can do is do your job. So after that, I um, had a hard time driving that truck anymore. I had a hard time being in that truck by myself on missions. Um, I, I really struggled with the fact that I was unable to help my guys. Um, I, I did a lot of talking and crying to some really good friends in the unit. I uh, went and visited the guy with the hurt ankle. He had surgery, and I went and visited him at the hospital there on the base. It, it, and it all hurt. It all hurt really bad. I can't imagine if if one of them had had passed away. I would have probably lost my mind. Um, but you get very little time for that kind of stuff because you got to do a job. So you let it out when you have downtime, but when it's time to go back out, you talk to your leadership. I got moved to another truck, doing you know still driving, but driving a different different kind of truck with with a group of guys in it. Um, and I went back on the next mission because if I'm not gonna do it, then who somebody else is, and that's that's not what you want. You don't want other people getting hurt and blown up you you're there to do a job and and if you're not willing to do it then you're just putting other people in harm's way so anyway I think those situations have had the biggest impact on me and how I deal with difficult stuff I you just don't have time to sit and cry and think you just understand the situation take it all in Roger that. Change what you can. Take action if you can. And ex- execute your job. Because that's all you can do. And I think that that impacts the way that I handle, you know, marital issues, stress at work, stress at home, um, continued stress in the military. Uh, it is what it is. I don't. I don't have time to sit and cry. I don't have time to think and worry and fear. You just have to do your job. So um, if you want to expand on that, if you have questions, let me know. But um, I'm home now. And uh, like I said, I don't have time to think about this stuff. When I got a job to do, I got to go do my job. And that's be at home with my family. So take care. And I will talk to you guys later.